But now we don't have any value. Um, do you do you want to take the the intro, or shall I? Uh, you do it since you're you're back now. Well, it doesn't mean I get to do every intro. No, we're we're, we're acclimating people. Okay. All you right, want me right. to do the intro? I'll talk about Donald Duck. I'll be talking about how. Oh, yeah. So Donald Duck has a new name. It's Donald Lunch. It's named oh, after his can... favorite meal. Another famous <laughs> Langdon shape of a joke, but without <laughs> the form. <laughs> <laughs> Did you did you know that he he got that name because uh, he he likes to perform cunnilingus with his beak? Yeah, let's let Gareth do the intro. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just uh, maybe I should just do an intro here. I don't know. I mean, we we could no, we could just go keep this going for hours. It seems to be what you want. So <laughs> beak to skin. Enough. Enough of that. <laughs> You're welcome to Death Sentence, everyone. <laughs> welcome to another week in hell. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, it, it actually really sucked for last week because Britain is being bombarded by storms. Um, the Queen is on her, like, eighth death. I was death. about to say... You you got you got some great news today though on the day that we're know, recording they I finally know. have gotten an inch closer to admitting the bitch has been dead for months. Yeah, but it, it's going to be like every other time. This they're just edging us the whole time. Like we, we've had this for about at least six months now, and bro, I'm, I'm she's got to be dead. I I, no. I know, but it, I, I'm no just... way. the way those people operate, it would roll out so smoothly and so comprehensively. Like, she's probably just really sick and in an unsightly state. She's been really sick and in an unsightly state for at least two decades now. No, she's... but I mean for, by British standards. Oh, yeah. But, well, but, yeah, British standards are very different. We haven't wanted to look at any of you in an, over a century. That's not. very true. The one thing that even as an American commie that I feel really strongly about is that we earned our independence from Britain. Fuck you. Like, yeah. yeah. yeah that, was, that was the only good war. I'm, I'm not patriotic. I just think the British are awful and not being British anymore was a success. Yeah. It all went downhill sharply from that moment, but God, what a glorious moment that was. Who gives a shit about the tax part? I just fucking hate Britain. Although you guys got Mr. Blobby. We do, yeah, we got that. So yeah. We got we got the 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 cheery rat. The little rat man. Oh yeah. I've never been to a a Chuck E. Cheese, so I don't um... No, 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 no. I meant I meant Mickey. Like you have to go south of the border to get Tijuana Bibles where he gets really spicy. Um we just get the cheery rat. You got a weird fucked up polka dot man though. That's true. Yeah, we got that, and and one day really soon we're going to get to enjoy the Queen's death. We're going to get to see probably one of the funniest days on Twitter of all time. That shit's going to be so hype, bro. It's going. Oh, man, you remember when Rush Limbaugh died? Yeah, that shit popped off. That was, that was that a was great good. second day. Or that John was good. McCain, I think, also fantastic. I think John McCain <laughs> beats uh, Rush Limbaugh for, for that. I mean, lots of people didn't like Rush Limbaugh, so it was yeah, kind with of John okay McCain, when he died. Everyone, everyone gets yeah. very like wrapped in the flag and sanctimonious. 
Exactly. And and the same thing will happen for uh, when Her Royal Highness Queen Elizabeth will, will, will die. I think it was great when Ho Chi Minh uh, dragged John McCain to hell. Mm. Yeah, like came up out of the ground like in, like in Ghost. Yeah, yeah. Ho Chi Minh wasn't in hell, to clarify. Ho Chi Minh is in heaven. Yeah, Ho Chi Minh uh, just sent, like... He sent it was like the taxi hell. driver getting yeah. him to hell. He, he didn't... Um, he like dropped him off, then went back to heaven to like blow Jimi Hendrix or something. Um, so we're here with Gretchen Falcomartin. Um, uh, at Scumbelievable on Twitter, and we're here because her book's come out. Well, is is going to come out? It's like any it comes day out now. Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, it's okay, coming but... out Tuesday, the twenty second. So that is coincidentally uh, when this episode will release. So when you hear this, you can just pause and you can go to Amazon and you can no, you, no I mean your local don't go to Amazon store, <laughs> and um, and you can order this like right now. Uh, because it's so fucking good. Oh my god! Yeah, oh my god! So much, yes. <laughs> yeah, just like the next ninety minutes is just gonna be my me going. Oh my fucking god! Oh my god! Like like just or, always. Uh, because yeah, fuck, so good. Um, I think that's all I have to say. Uh, apart from yeah, um, let's do like a a proper interview about this then. Instead of just me going, oh shit, fuck. How did J.K. <laughs> Rowling read the J.K. Rowling bit again? Read it again. Um, I, t- I told Gareth that that was in there, and he was like, I'd heard that it was in there. And I'm like, oh, it's in there, buddy. Oh, yeah. it's in there. <laughs> That's phrasing. Um, but yeah, and it's in there like, I mean, maybe three quarters of the way through. We're not going to tell people exactly what it is. Yeah, uh, but there's uh, something involving J.K. Rowling happens. It, it actually is, there's several things involving J.K. Rowling in the book. It's a it's a beautiful but, cherry on top of the cake because that's the like to 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 get a little bit more meta about it. It's it's I was about to say it's tastefully done. Not quite true. Hmm. Um, oh, it's yeah. it's lovingly done. Um, but yeah. it's yeah. You know, I so this is something that um I've noted a lot about. One of the great frustrations I have when I hear people talk about your writing, especially people who are highly critical of it, versus actually reading your writing, is that this book, as much as it's presented, even in certain spaces, is um, quite brutal and quite intense, which it absolutely is, that overrides the tremendous amount of, like, sensitivity, heart, and care that, like, is present throughout the entire text. Such that when so you the, the story follows a pair of trans women who hunt men and use their testicles to refine estrogen, um, because testicles actually do produce large amounts of estrogen. Um, and it it follows them as they 
try to find like a permanent place to live as they run across like militant fascist turfs who are bent on exterminating all trans women and that's uh yeah that's that's pretty much the shape of it like i say fucking rules yeah um <laughs> so uh, i know you you spoke about this the last time we sp- you were on the podcast um so how how long has it have you been writing this um i was writing manhunt from the end of 2019 through the end of 2020. That's pretty quick. Yeah, it it took a a little less than a year. Wow. And it's not a small book. It's like 350 pages. It's not like tiny, but it's not massive either, but it's... uh... It's pretty long. (laughs) Yeah. It feels long when you're writing it. (laughs) Doesn't when you read it, I, I like breezed through it. I oh, like, I know it killed me. People are finishing it in a day, and I'm like, "Hope you like. Hope you liked it." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, if I like, maybe I could probably. I probably spent like eight hours total reading this book. Like that's a, like a work day. Um, that's a great length of time. I'm I'm very happy yeah. with that length of time. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's um, like I said, it was really it really breezed through it. It's not. I've read much shorter books in much longer lengths of time um so i know this is a dumb question to ask literally any writer everywhere anywhere (laughs) at any time because it's the dumbest question of all and the chances are that you don't know it and and well anyway but what are the what what you've told us what the book is about as in what happens in it but what's it about as in what it's about if like, you get much what of are, the, what are like the themes? Yeah, yeah. And and I, would, I know it's I know it's a dumb question, but it's a dumb question we can jump off of. That's why it's there. <laughs> it, it's I'm a happy functional to use it question. As a springboard. Yes. Um, the book is about community. I think that show. anyone. This is a book about Abed. <laughs> <laughs> This is a book about the acting career of Danny Putty. Um, <laughs> yeah, one of the most um, uh, ill-served uh, actors in Hollywood. He deserves so much better than what he's getting. Every other person on Community has gone on to... I mean, there were Oscar winners who were like minor characters in there. And Danny Putty has been completely um, just cancelled, I think, <laughs> by Hollywood, by the Hollywood sickos. Yeah. There's no um, roles for for Indian guys in American film. None. Yeah, it's it, it's it's the classic problem of the minute that you get marked as as other in some way, your role has to be one something already pegged for that specific group, and two something where that groupness is intrinsic to the character. You're not allowed to really have a personality. It's like, oh, my, I'm I'm the brown guy. Yeah, yeah he's gonna end up as like a taxi driver in a convenience store. Um, sorry, I, I, I interrupted you by talking about the show community. Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the book, is, the book is about community. And what I was going to say is that anyone who has spent enough time on Twitter in proximity to a certain density of queer people has heard the term the queer community thrown around God knows how many times. And I think in the context of like, referring to all queer people who currently exist it's sort of meaningless like it's it's so large that 
its meaning collapses under its own weight. In what way do I have community with Caitlyn Jenner? You know, like, in my mind, community is, is built of practical connections. I have community with the people who I care for and am cared for by. I have community with the people who I financially support or who financially support me. I have community with the people that I love and who love me. The people who have an actual place in my life and vice versa. That's community. And the book is about the difficulty of achieving that and the the continual imperfection of it, the tenuousness of it, and, and the necessity of still trying as hard as you can because it's really the only thing worth having. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that like 100% comes through. That's, by and large, um, what was so flabbergasting to me reading some of... So obviously you've... Um, this is known to you, obviously, because you've talked about it and experienced it. But your book underwent a series of like review bombings well before the book came out, and before any of these people could have even plausibly had a review copy. Um, yeah, I don't think... There's only been one significantly negative review that I think is from someone who's actually read the book. Everything else is just people logging onto Goodreads and giving it one star. Uh, uh, my hot take, Goodreads, trash website. It's terrible. It's a terrible website. <laughs> it's the uh, rate your music of books. People who know about music will understand that that's also a major dunk. Yeah. Like... It puts a lot of people who do not have a critic skills in the position to be critics. Yeah. And, and what like, you it, get is an enormous avalanche of useless information. It's totally fine for normal people to try to parse their own feelings, to try to vocalize their own feelings. It's a good, that's sure. a helpful thing. But then pretending that it has, that it is the same as like someone immersed in a kind of world who, at least on paper, is meant to give due credence to a book and due diligence uh, to a work and to an author. Because that's the thing is that in a lot of those review bombings, and this happens with criticism that's hurled against you in specific a lot for no fucking reason, um, is that like, oh, this book is so aggressive. It's so violently opposed to, and yet I sit down to read it and I'm prepped based on discussions we'd had before. I'm like, this is going to be a rip roaring, like splatter punk, like really, super dope uh and then no no i get i get the book that you just described thematically it's very much like the presence and heart of the characters is far more um is far more central than uh the violence or even in times the the brutal conditions it's about like how these things affect people's personhoods and people's connections with each other and connections to the world around them rather than just like skull that's blown up with spikes um i'm really glad that that comes through so clearly that's that's what i care about i'm i'm not gonna say that i don't like to depict violence or like that i don't think action is cool i do think <laughs> both of those things i do love violent movies and stories but it becomes very numbing if it's not connected to anything and connecting it to the things that I care about most deeply is the most effective way to make it hit. And also, conversely, I, conversely to attach stakes to those things that I care about. I also noticed there was like, maybe I just read in the wrong books, but there's a, a, a lot of sex in this book. 
Yes. There's a lot of different kinds, and it's really well done. It's never pornographic. It's never lurid. Well, no... let me let me stop you there. It is <laughs> it is pornographic. Um, <laughs> I have spent a, a fair amount of my career as both a, a sex worker and as a professional in different capacities in the porn industry. My work is pornographic. I I write about things that I that get me off and. Mm-hmm. The intent is to let other people experience those and feel them in the same way that I write about things that make me angry in hopes that it will it will connect to others and allow them to access their anger. Okay. Is, is there a difference in erotic and pornographic? Not to it, my mind, no. In my brain, and this is entirely a me thing, erotic is like the, the sex scenes in your book, or, or in lots of books, but pornogra- pornography... In my brain, I always I assume I have it filed away as something that is created so people can masturbate. Like Pornhub is not something you look at to enjoy. It's something you look at with uh, your your dick in your hand if you have a dick, and um, that that's like my distinction my distinction between erotica erotic and pornographic. I definitely lean closer to uh to to Gretchen's definition there. I don't think that I think we're told to draw a stronger line because we're told to build walls of shame to compartmentalize certain certain vectors of pleasure and certain vectors of aesthetic enjoyment. But eroticism, like literally the act of fucking someone, is a kind of aesthetic and sensual uh pleasure, the same way that like fine food or painting is. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so like you you see this a lot in especially like modernist and postmodern um art criticism that these harsher lines that get drawn are cultural and it's not necessarily that we shouldn't have those lines ourselves but we need to be critical of lines that we've inherited from outside of us that we don't necessarily reaffirm ourselves versus ones that we um self-create to help better navigate our own uh our own worlds and experiences. Right, or ones that, having been handed them by the vast weight of people who have come before us, we think through before employing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the classic the classic uh, Nietzschean thing is that it's not bad to have a morality; it's bad to have an unexamined morality that is handed to you from outside. Yes, because that's, it's it's not yours. You don't actually have any heart or weight behind this. Right. The thing that always comes to mind for me is uh, Potter Stewart in the obscenity case that was levied against James Joyce's Ulysses. And he's he's trying to, this is a, a justice, and he's trying to define the, the definition of hardcore pornography. And eventually it has to come down to, I know it when I see it. And it's a it's a very interesting ruling. It's a really historic ruling. Ultimately, Ulysses was uh, it was published in America and it made it through censorship. Even I though would... the sexuality in Ulysses is, I would say, very explicitly pornographic. I I would love the world where, and this is a, a bit of the cynic in me. I would love the world in which Ulysses. Um, could be banned because people have read Ulysses. Like that specific one where they're like, oh, I got to this and I didn't like it because that would mean they're reading Ulysses. 
what a great fucking book. Oh man, I'm a big <laughs> James Joyce guy and they're going to read him now? Sadly, we don't live in this world. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the same people who review bomb you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, sex, sex sorry, is really on. important to me um, in, in the context of my life, in the context of my fiction. I have navigated so many different parts of my life through sex and I can't imagine writing about a character who doesn't have like a sexuality. Mm-hmm. It actually reminded me a lot of the um, Jenny Fall book um, that that we read a while ago. Um, who did, oh, was, yeah. His name I'm forgetting off the top of my head, which uh, is awful because I have it on my fucking shelf. But yeah. um, where, where it's the same kind of thing, where it's uh, notions of queerness and personhood arriving and erupting through sex, and that being treated as just as equal as things like conversation or, or other forms of oh. communion, be it conversational communion. Um, I forget gastronomic communion for meals. That's weird. That's a weird phrase. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine I said a prettier version of that, <laughs> but yeah, I actually found that um, quite, quite lovely because it also touches on, and we see this through um, the more ethical uh, pornographic production that has um, become more foregrounded in the past decade or so. Um, of like, oh no, there there is a human heart and a human pulse behind even straight up pornography. Like this is ultimately a human thing. It's not not alien machinery or something like that. Right. I I know multiple porn production studios, and <clears throat> their work has so much emotion evident in every yeah. shot. You know, it's there's certainly stuff that's dashed off just to jerk off to in the same way that McDonald's makes a hundred preheated patties and puts them on a, a slider. It's, it's still food. It's still art, but it's not, um, there's no aesthetic curation of it. But anyway, uh, my point is that when you integrate pornography into a narrative into like a a broader story and you ground it in the emotions of different characters i think it stays pornography okay yeah i I, I like that yeah and like i said i really like the pornography in your book thank you Um, uh yeah it it, it felt like like i said expressive it was people fucking instead of talking, but they were still communicating. Um, it, it showed the characters. It, it's the classic is it Henry James thing of um, the accumulation of telling details is what a novel is about. And yeah, yeah people 100, 100% dropped a ton of uh, telling details during those it, sex scenes. It actually reminds me a lot of one of, one of the more tedious discussions that you'll find on Twitter, which is the the realm of tedious discussions and then dick jokes, um, is, uh, like, is there a good sex scene that, that, that produces, uh, like theme and plot and character and all that kind of stuff? Stupid fucking question. Really goddamn uh, stupid question. Yeah. Well, so, um, the, the, the tweet a few weeks back, like, um, sorry. Yeah. Something like, uh, has it ever been a sex scene in a film that needed to be there? 
And you're like, well, yeah, absolutely. They're all like, that's, this is stupid, but this is a good, like your book works as a very good counter example to the, the fucking numbing inanity of that question where it's uh, because it's like any detail, like what Gareth is saying, like any detail in any book, it needs to be justified to live within the book. But the justifications are more like, does it reveal character? Does it move forward the plot? Does it complicate or expound on the theme? Just really basic novelistic function that that something needs to serve in order to, no matter what it is, to be in a book. Um, exactly. You know, it's like uh, Scorsese is really well known for doing a lot of voiceover in his movies and often voiceover boils down to like the character explaining what's happening on screen to you. And that's often technically true of the voiceover in Scorsese's movies. But as they explain things to you, they're revealing things about themselves and how they see the world that complicate the film. And I wanted to use sex that way. Yeah. And it, it absolutely okay. comes across that way. I mean, it's one, it's also, it's also very hot when it's happening. So it's, it nails the pornographic bit as well, but then additionally, it's like, Oh, like, oh, my brain is working as well. This is fantastic. <laughs> and what about uh, what about violence? Uh, like, how do you approach writing about violence? Because there were some incredibly brutal and graphic graphic uh, parts in this book. Where I, I when I write violence in stuff, I I'm very squeamish about it because I put too much empathy in there. I I um, I think, oh, well, that, that person probably, what if they have a wife or a kid? I can't possibly kill them. I'll, I'll just wound them. Uh, but yeah, you have a, a pretty brutal with a lot of this stuff. How, how do you approach writing like a, a violent act? So writing a story is all about sort of recognizing that each new element you introduce is a branch off the central trunk and you have all of these choices about what to do with a branch once you have it you can leave it you can trim it or you can nurture it and let it put off its own shoots and eventually make its own sub branches so let's say that you walk up to a character in a, an rpg that's a branch and then you can shoot him you can trim the branch and remove him from the narrative. You can talk to him and nurture the branch, or you could just walk away, and then it's it's there but non-functional. So in really like straightforward storytelling terms, violence both trims your story and complicates it. Because of course every violent act has consequences both to the person performing it in an immediate sense to the victim, obviously, and then from the wider world reacting to the violent act. It's a really powerful literary tool. You can do almost anything with it. And also, it's very interesting to write about the body in distress to me. I'm very interested in pain. I'm very interested in mortality. Um, there was a time in my life when I was extremely depressed, and I used to watch footage of like historical executions and horrible methods of torture just to feel worse. And a lot of that stuff is still kicking around in my head. Um, I'm also a big fan of the body in pain, the making and unmaking of the world. I forget the, the author, but it's a really foundational book on 
the nature of pain and how human beings sort of communicate pain as it happens to them, both to themselves and to others, to make sense of it. Because Elaine's pain is scary, it turns out. Yes, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, because pain is so often kind of an incoherent experience. So I guess, to me, injury and killing and that kind of like mortal conflict has always been part of storytelling. You know, I work in genre. There's almost always at least some violent aspect. And it it propels things dramatically too. A story where people are in danger of having their throat cut is is sort of baseline a certain amount of exciting just because you know it could happen. Yeah, and this story is nothing if not exciting. It's like, um, yeah, there's pretty much always some kind of threat, isn't there? And there's very little time when the main characters aren't under some sort. You're not thinking, oh, they're getting themselves in, they're digging themselves in deeper now. Oh, no. Right. And I think ultimately the utility of violence to me in in terms of, of writing is sort of pressing the reader up against something uncomfortable. Hmm. Yeah. It... I, uh, my favorite ex used to get really, really monumentally high while we were watching movies. And whenever something bad happened on screen, like, you know, the shark starts tearing at the shark cage in Jaws and, and Hooper's caught inside, they would look at me with these big earnest eyes and say, I would hate it if that happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit and that's, that's like my guiding light for writing something violent or scary is like imagine a situation that you desperately don't want to be in and then create it <laughs> oh yeah you, you've done that like 50 times in uh, Manhunt um, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean technically I couldn't be in any of the situations during the book because I would be a ravening rape zombie in the book but, um, <laughs> well, you, get what I, I mean. you could be in them you'd just be a different kind of character oh yeah but maybe I'm maybe I have a, a cameo in the book as a um, as like a rape zombie. Yeah, if you I want mean, to be that, yeah. <laughs> I guess canonically, canonically, both of you are in the background of Manhunt. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Be That's like, fantastic. Um, <laughs> it's canon. We got recorded evidence of it. Yeah, I, your your book lives in the same like profoundly strained. Um, uh, kind of space for my brain as like a lot of Cormac McCarthy's work uh, that That's examines amazing. that examines similar kinds of questions of the um, the profundity of those kinds of those kinds of states of being because obviously in another person's hand most of Cormac McCarthy's novels could read as like ripping nihilistic action yarns but obviously in his hands they're much more philosophically uh, weighty. Because they're meditations mm-hmm. upon the state that it presents rather than just, um, you know, no one, no one reads or n- non-sociopaths, I should say, don't uh, read Blood Meridian and go, that scalping scene sure was tight. Um, you know, that's not the feeling you get in that scene. <laughs> right. Yeah, the feeling of, you get is that you're like digging your fingertips into your own head. Yeah. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um. I would hate it if that happened to me. 
Yes. <laughs> I don't want to be trapped in a murder pit. That sounds terrible. Um Yeah, no, it, it was it was this really lovely um lovely lovely is a weird kind of word to use for that for anyone who isn't just really into books. Um but it was a really lovely kind of mental association that that um that your book wound up uh bringing up, especially considering McCormick or Cormac McCarthy's um most recent work is tilted towards similar kind of apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic terrain. Um, right. When I, when I say more recent, I mean, basically from like the eighties forward now that I think about it. Um, Cause it's really only like Sutri yeah. and a couple other, like uh, the orchard keeper and stuff like that. that weren't terribly apocalyptic, but it was a nice elaboration on that, uh, that kind of headspace. Thank you. Um, yeah. McCarthy is a, is one of my favorite authors. And ours. Yeah. Um, let's, because uh, we're about at halfway, let's do a little musical break before we get back into stuff. Um, so I, I think I'll, I'll do my one first. Uh, so there's a band called uh, Black Dresses. They're kind of hyper pop, but way, way noisier. Way noisier. Um, they're from says they're from Toronto, but they also say they're from Medicine Hat, which is a horrible little town in the middle of Canada. I've been through there on a horrible town. Um, but, um, Canada really sucks. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah, it's like but, if you fused America and Britain, and that no one's going to want that. No, nah, and then through in little France just to be weird. Ugh. Canada is just like a big gigantic combined syndicate of mining and logging companies that people think is a country. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> um, yeah. I must shout out to, um, there's a, a good podcast called the bottle men, um, by a friend of a show, Riley Quinn off trash future podcast. And, um, a guy from the, that band wolf parade. Um, they basically talk about Canada all the time. And I, I lived in Canada for about five years. My wife's Canadian. And, and never till listening to that podcast did I realize just how depraved Canada is as a place. It's just a horrible, horrible country. Uh, how um, I mean, America's bad too, but this is um, Canada's worse. And you kind of black dresses sound like they come from a place that is as horrible as Canada is. It, it's very off-putting, um, difficult pop music uh, in the way that like. Sophie, back backwash, um, people like that. But these guys turn up the the noise, the kind of the black metal screaming, this kind of screamo stuff to like way harder than uh, most their contemporaries. It doesn't sound like a hundred gex or something. Yeah, uh, like even no notably, I've had trouble or intermittent trouble with hyper pop um, since the genre debuted. Like love. Sophie and really, really despise hundred gecks, really don't like them at all. Um, and black dresses definitely sit somewhere in the middle between those two. But even when I'm not enjoying a particular song, it's clear that like one, it's really goddamn exciting. And two, it's really fucking cool. So like it, whether it meets your uh, specific taste or not, it's definitely like something really fucking fascinating and uh like this really goddamn cool is happening yeah it is a, like the only music that sounds like it comes from the year 2022 yeah um yeah it's like, 
yeah, I don't want to like go back to the whole Mark Fisher thing of like music stopped evolving because I have my I have my criticisms of that idea. But um, if you wanted to like play someone a, a song that sounds like it comes from the space year twenty twenty two, then yeah, black dresses would be a good a good choice. Um, so there's a song off uh, the new record, "Forget Your Own Face." It's called "Money Makes You Stupid," all capital letters. It's like one of the. It goes the hardest of all the songs on the on the album. So we figure for a mostly metal podcast, that would be the the right choice. But all the songs in this are good. Um, so yeah, his money makes you stupid by Black Dresses. <sighs> Stupid of uh, forget your own face. Um, their Bandcamp page is like horrifyingly ugly. I really, really dig it. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's such a. There's like this whole segment of trans women artists who are really into that extremely overdesigned sort of '90s glitchcore website aesthetic, and it's so fucking amazing. <laughs> 
Yeah, I wonder why that is. Is there any, like maybe you can give us some insight here? Is there anything about the trans experience that makes you uh, make this music and make these horrible websites? And I think write just, like, scary books. I think we just like broken shit. Makes well, sense. I think it rocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. It fucking rules. <laughs> it does. I hear um, a Fire that... Tools record and I go, "Fuck yes, fuck yes." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's been a lot of um, really great trans artists in a lot of different genres coming out lately. And if I don't want to be like, oh, all this like terrible stuff with all the turfs in the world has made all this great music come out, because that's just idiotic. Uh, but it may make uh, cis people more likely to, you know, you know, cis allies, trademark, a bit more likely to pick up this stuff where they might have dismissed it otherwise. Um, well, I think it might make them more likely to pick it up, but my guess would be that what they're most likely to do is cannibalize it and reproduce it on their yeah, own. Yeah, th- there'll there'll be a like some crappy hyperpop um, coming out right. that's like, just yeah. When are they're... we going to get the Imagine Dragons of hyperpop? Oh yeah, yeah. That, Imagine Dragons would like drop some hyperpop on the record. Yeah, you know, like like when everyone was putting dubstep into their music. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah Charlie oh, XCX uh... is. Oh, go Charlie ahead. XCX is the only cis ally that uh, hyperpop needs. <laughs> That's very yeah. true. I've <laughs> never listened to any of her music. I keep hearing about what it. the I keep... fuck. I yeah, I know. I I I've got them mentally filed away next like. I don't know Rita Ora and people. It's like she was, she was like Sophie's girl. Like they were, they were like best fucking buds together. Yeah, I, I know. I need, I need to stop. It is so much, and it's uh, one, one day I'm gonna like sit down and just do a whole Charlie actually X day, and just yeah. l- learn about it. Uh, she has, she has a new track out. Mm-hmm. Start with that one. Okay. Fucking boss. I will. I will. Uh, we're here with Gretchen Falker Martin talking about Manhunt. Uh, yeah, Manhunt fucking rules. Um, yeah, I've run out of things to say, so I'm just going to be like, yeah, fucking, <laughs> fucking A, fucking awesome, yeah. Hell yeah, for the next half hour. But, um, uh, so, <clears throat> we haven't, you've had some backlash against this so far, the, the review bombs and all, and all that bullshit so far. Do you anticipate some more coming? Is it, are you going to be like the new bait noir of the turfs once <laughs> this book hits? Because you do kill a fuckload of turfs in this. Yeah, I Probably mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a book where a trans woman stomps a turf skull in, and it's like, oh, yeah. you know, protracted and graphic. <laughs> and I, I meant it to be incendiary in the sense that I hate them, and I think that. <laughs> Probably we're going to need to explore some form of violent resistance against what they're trying to do through these huge passive networks of like, yep, slush funding and legislation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and in fact, I, I did have a really nasty episode of of turf blowback this week when they found a piece that I did for Auto Straddle about what it was like to to write from the perspective of turfs for the book because one of the characters is a turf. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, a complicated turf, but a turf nonetheless. Yeah, and I think that 
probably this book will continue to catch me shit over the years. It's certainly caused its its fair share of harassment or well it has resulted in its its fair share of harassment from both queer people who haven't read beyond the premise to turfs who I'm not entirely sure can read it all. <laughs> mm-hmm. And to a, a certain extent, I expect it and I'm all right with it. I've learned how to deal with it. Sometimes it does become painful and overwhelming. And I would rather it did not happen. I don't want to be the tip of any particular spear. But I'm the first trans woman with a major horror release in American history. Wow. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. Yeah, I hadn't so, really thought about that either. Jesus. <laughs> I When I figured it out, I, I spent like an entire day digging around and I'm I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, there's been, there's been some really, really great trans women. I mean, shit, we had on the show a few weeks ago uh, Alison Rumfit, who you wrote. Yeah, yeah. You, you blurbed her book. She's she's great. Um, that book rips so fucking hard. Fucking does. love that book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, folks at home, if you if you like Manhunt, do pick up Tell Me I'm Worthless. Just different good, but the same. The different good, the same great. Um, yeah. Allison is, is really one to watch. Yeah. Yeah. She, big things for her. And she, and she was a fan of the show, like, really early, too. So, obviously, a good person. Great <laughs> but, um, yeah, there's been a, like a, a, not just you two, but there's been like a big thing of maybe it's just me, you know, being a, an ally t- trademark uh, and trying to notice this stuff. But there's been a lot of trans women horror writing lately. And um, th- the stuff I've read has all been absolutely brilliant. And I'm not really a big horror guy at all. I, I kind of spent most of my life dismissing it as just like, yeah, Stephen King, Clive Barker, okay, whatever. Uh, I'm was... always fucking baffled when I remember that Gareth has only recently converted to thinking that horror is good because, like, <laughs> the first fucking book that we talked about was an True. Italian anti-fascist horror novel. So I was like, oh, and it's called Death Sentence. This guy obviously fucking likes the good shit. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I like uh, death metal. I like gory movies. I like... Dumb shit like Warhammer and uh, the Dark Souls franchise. I, for some reason, I just never read a horror book apart from like reading it when I was like twelve. It, uh, it doesn't necessarily help that horror for the longest time struggled in a way that, um, in a way that fantasy got its hands around pretty quick, and then sci-fi really in the uh, the sixties with new wave of science fiction got its hands around of how to have a literary eye for what to like pull out and present to people not that the other stuff's bad but just like what what you give someone is the first blush to try to get them to fall in love with it and horror for decades and decades was very content to just sort of be its own world and that meant that you had to you had to dig a lot more to find the like like how how into grad school or into weirdo shit do you have to be to learn about lachance du malderor right Yeah. Fucking incredible book. One of the best goddamn books I've ever read in my life. Or Melmoth the Wanderer, which has just like bleeding psychedelic prose. And then it's like, you even talk to people like, yeah, I'm big into gothic novels. Have you heard Shirley Jackson? You're like, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I have because she's super famous. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, yeah, I'm way deep. <laughs> yeah, like horror has always been like the redheaded stepchild of genre for a long time, at least in the like literary world. Because yeah, you had that second wave in of sci-fi in the '60s. You had loads of great fantasy novels coming out, but and there, there's always been these like, hey, it's cool to like sci-fi now. Sci-fi is actually a smart literary genre, like literary fiction, the only real genre. And literary writers are writing sci-fi like uh, Kazuo Ishiguro and Michael Chabon and people like that. They're, they're putting, and Jonathan Lefham is writing comic books and stuff. But there was, mm-hmm. never, there was never any of that for horror. Yeah, um, I would say that only in the last decade or two has that started to happen for horror. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily help that horror had the same response that and this is the tie to heavy metal comes in the same tie of that heavy metal did, which is when something crests to a level of mainstream notability, you saw a very quick backlash about saying that it wasn't a real example or that it was a failure within the terms of genre, Um, which which I get in part. I, I get the a defensiveness to be like, do we really want do we really want Stephen Moffat era Doctor Who fans to watch a scary episode of Doctor Who and go, I want to get into horror? Do you want to open the door to them? Um yeah. I get that. Same with like the amount of people, the different kinds of people that liked new metal. There were people that liked it for the fusion of urban and different kinds of urban music, be it uh, of different racial backgrounds into one pot. And then there were people who liked um, Fred Durst looks like a white boy who will break my drywall. I love that. I'm a white boy who will break my drywall too. Yeah, there's a, it's pretty wild out there. One thing that I learned really quickly is that I have many fans and readers who have very little in common with me and that's, that's fine with me. You know, I I do not aspire to be some sort of template for how people should live their lives or enjoy the art that they enjoy. But it does necessitate sort of a frame shift in the way that you see making art. Like you've got to stop conceiving of it solely as something that will be received by people whose tastes are broadly like yours. Not to say that I I write for the tastes of other people. I I write pretty much solely for myself and for other trans women who are are sort of on my wavelength. But it's so fascinating to watch it escape our orbit. And I understand why people would get defensive about something sort of breaking into the mainstream. Because there's a thread in it. You know, suddenly your art is going to be exposed to a lot of toweringly stupid opinions uh-huh <laughs> it always reminds me of that uh that famous article about how people were inspired to go to war after watching full metal jacket and like drill what? sergeant drill sergeants throughout <laughs> the entire army would mimic the arlie army character yeah they still do like, yeah all around the world now, I get those people may, taking the wrong lesson from the movie, but I'm baffled, at, and I believe it, unfortunately. I believe that this happened. I'm just baffled at the thought of watching Full Metal Jacket and taking away, I should join the army. You're forgetting that the people who join the army are fucking 18. <laughs> That's true. 
Yeah. No one is no one on earth is dumber than an 18-year-old. I've also heard a bunch of uh over the course of my life a number of tremendously bafflingly bad takes about Kubrick, who's as as uh entry core as this can be, he's still probably my favorite director. Um Well, I mean he's one of the most aesthetically accomplished artists of the past century. Yeah. I mean he he is legitimately great. Like when mm. when your worst movies arguably arguably what Spartacus or like The Killing? Like and those are those are both really goddamn good. Like I love The Killing. Right? I'm like, "Oh, this one might be your worst one. A masterpiece of noir cinema." <laughs> Pretty good. Um yeah, I mean like like I said there's there's this weird thing that humans can do where they completely don't get the point of things in a dramatic way. Like every every drug dealer's favorite film is Scarface, which is about a drug dealer <laughs> fucking himself up. Every um, Wall Street even trader. other drug dealers telling uh, telling the guy well, in Scarface. I fucking love the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. By They're the like, way, oh, this guy is so cool. <laughs> and before Wolf of Wall Street, they loved Wall Street. They film about yeah. how shitty a Wall Street guy is going to be. So, yeah, no, fun factoid. The first time that Gretchen and I spoke in person, I mentioned uh, that I had just seen Wolf of Wall Street and didn't like it much. And uh, Gretchen uh, very politely <laughs> told me to fuck myself. <laughs> which, which I then, I've, I've been thinking about this the entire time that I've known you. This is just sort of sat in my head. So I rewatch it um, uh, a bit ago. And uh, I was uh, dead wrong. That one, it was funny as fuck. I don't know where what my fucking oh, headspace yeah. was watching it. I was like, next time I talk to Gretchen, and then I realized that we were going to do this. So I was like, I'm going to tell Gretchen on recording that I was wrong. Landon, I'm I'm so happy that you got to enjoy it. I love that movie. <laughs> I'm a big fan of you personally. <laughs> Thank you. So, really br- bringing the classics together. One of the things that I, uh, th- this is getting a little bit um, personal, but I think it, it's important for this kind of thing. So one of the things that I like really loved about Manhunt, and this is actually prevalent across things like the current records from Backwash. Um, Shamir recently put out a really incredible um, record as a, uh, about non-binary transness. Um, obviously you're, you're a trans woman, so it's not exactly the same, but it's, if I had to pick a big umbrella, it would be closer to that than say a typical cis experience um, is sitting, having sat with questions like that about myself for a while. I just the way that I think if anyone's even paying attention to these kinds of topics as they run into them in theory or cultural space, like regardless of where your answer falls, you should ask yourself those things. It's been edifying to see that kind of stuff and to correlate correlate aspects of myself that didn't necessarily have an easy um an easy categorization especially with someone on the spectrum where my relation to gender uh and sexuality is different from non-autistic people like the more that I talk to other people on the spectrum the more apparent it is that there's much more similarity there in terms of even what it means to be cis or trans is different for someone on the spectrum compared to someone with the same nominal gender if they're not. So it's been it's been really wonderful to to like engage with art like yours to sort of navigate some of those things specifically because you live in that evocative space 
of the personhood inside it. Like, it doesn't read like you're writing really trite fucking essays for cis people to, like, scare quote, understand their friends or something like that. Um, it, it, it feels like what you want literature to be, regardless of whether it's horror or fantasy or, or literary stuff, uh, that it just, like, it evokes this internal space. Yeah, so that's thank been, you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm so glad that that's apparent and that it that you could connect to it and it meant something to you. I really really wanted this to be a book written from the inside. I wanted it to start with the assumption that the reader knows what it's like to be a trans woman or at least can can open their head up enough to learn about it slowly in pieces by watching one of us think. I mean, it's, it's exactly the really powerful thing about, about that kind of act. The, the usage of, cause we, again, we hear a lot of BS from people who talk about literature, but aren't really good critics. Actually, I should rewind before I say this. I first ran into your work through your art criticism. I've said this every time that I've, uh, that we've interviewed you here. I've said this constantly about you in public because it's true. You're a really goddamn good art. Nick. Like that's that. Damn right. I, you, Langdon. I I think I've said this as 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 well. But the fact that you see value in my criticism is tremendously important to me because I feel like not only are you very intelligent and a great critic yourself, but you're also thoughtful in ways that I am often too angry and impatient to. <laughs> to fully incorporate into my own work. So I get a lot out of watching you work and listening to you. And thank you. That, that I'm, I'm straight up uh, like blushing, like a, like an eight year old who's been told that his crush likes him. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's like this. Yeah. We, so we are very open about this, like tremendous mutual respect. Um, And one of the things that I like, I only checked out your fiction because I was like, Oh, this person also writes like this. They wrote a werewolf book. I, I'll check that out. Um, and I was like, these are the saddest werewolves of all time. I love this. <laughs> yeah, you, you made a, a mecha anime uh, book that was even sadder than Evangelion. I mean, how, how that happened is I have no idea, but it, that book's brilliant. Which we Thank talked to you about on, on the show, by the way. Dear listeners, we uh, we have another episode about that one. Please go back and listen to it. You talked about Dreadnought? I believe so. We, we mentioned it. Yeah, we, we, we mentioned it. I don't think we did a show about it. Oh, okay, okay. I'd be willing to go back and do a show about it. I got that <laughs> shit on my shelf, too. That book fucking ruled. <laughs> I know that Gareth and I talked about it a lot. Um, yeah, because, yeah, you know, it's kind of our shit. Like, yeah, by... I've... By like an incredible degree, but I mean, yeah, that... so so much. Yeah, I thought that uh, Evangelion would be a lot sadder if you made all the teens have fucked up bodies and then cut it off instead of going into like a hallucinogenic sort of subspace where text and subtext become the same thing. And it turns out I was correct. Yeah, I'm right. Um, now I gotta didn't... ask you on air. Did you watch? Uh, did you watch the final rebuild movie? I was gonna I ask did. that. I did. Um, did you, did you cry was... as hard as I did? I did cry some. I found it to be very affecting in a broad sense. I think that with Misato and uh, 
God, what's her name? The the doctor, the blonde doctor. Ritsuko. Yeah. I, yeah. Ritsuko, yeah, thank you. I thought with them sort of relegated to tertiary character status, it was not as interesting an interpretation of that group of people as the original show was, but... And I, 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 don't, I don't think it was quite as psychologically complex or sort of had the same amount of, of friction in it that the original did, but it was so clearly made by someone who's in love with art and trying to push it as far as he can personally. And I really admire that. And I did find it very moving. I'll acknowledge that I read all of the rebuilds. Uh, so I'm, I'm instrumentality pilled. Um, so I'm like, nah, that shit happened in instrumentality. And that's a uh, him Shinji breaking free of samsara in a way that none of the previous ones did. And uh, because of that, I cried like a fucking bitch after that oh, movie ended. I was, yeah. I was fucking ruined. I was like, he's finally happy. Like, does... <laughs> oh, the bit where um, they're in the B universe and um, y- Shinji's mom Yui kind of hugs um, Gendo Ikaru from behind and kind of forgives him. Oh for, God, that like, fucking up. The, that yeah. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. Christ. That really got me. <laughs> yeah, and, but, and, and Gendo's whole uh, monologue about him being, I mean, he doesn't say it, but it, he's clearly on the spectrum and he's never like uh, understood anyone that he meets. This one person does this very on the spectrum thing, which I keep doing, uh, of like completely re- making your entire life revolve around someone. And then to the point where he kills everyone on the planet except a few people. Um, yeah, dad, ah, man, that, that was, was so that good. Was, tremendously moving that's one yeah. of the best movies i've ever seen uh probably because it's one of the most me shit movies i've ever seen <laughs> so i'm like yeah anyway i and i think this ties back to elements of, of what you're talking about with manhunt where it's like as much as we get a bunch of bs about um r- like li- liberalized bs about what representation matters the bare notion of that is still true. It's just what we get presented as this is a story from people like you that reflects your own heart normally isn't really, but that's so frustrating precisely because we do really value when you get the real version of that. Like when right, you can go a like very nourishing experience. Yeah. You know, like I'm not fucking crazy. I'm not like for me as an adult, learning that I was on the spectrum and suddenly being able to correlate so many of my both frustrations and joys to this thing was like bewildering. Sometimes it was destructive because it felt like, Oh, this thing that made me feel like a thunder God is now actually, no, I have funny brain wiring. Um, But then also like, Oh, these horrible, these horrible like social meltdowns and things like that. Oh, they also are explained by, and then likewise seeing as I get older and have certain questions about gender and sexuality that I'm very comfortable navigating on my own and very uh, not interested in navigating publicly for other people. Um, Having that same kind of like, Oh, these aren't, these aren't just me being weird. These are things that other people experience and feel and, that there are answers. Um, yeah, and the fact that you were able to capture that and also have mind-bogglingly sick violence. Because I'm also a simple man. I also love death metal. 
one of my favorite tracks off of the most recent uh, uh, Bloodbath record is called Blood Aside. What does that mean? I don't know. But I know in my heart. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's back to Potter Stewart. You know Blood Aside when you see it. That's right. I'm <laughs> like, he, he Blood aside and all of that blood in that man. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when you get when you get something that has again another beautiful bloodbath track chainsaw lullaby really stupid i'm stupid and i love that i love that i'm stupid cannibal corpse has an album it's just called kill perfect that rip no, right and then you have that but then it's also like oh it also has like the complex heart of cormac mccarthy uh if she was trans Wait, Cannibal Corpse does? No. No, okay. I, no, no. Right. Gretchen's book <laughs> adds okay. that. It's like... Bringing together all the charm of Cannibal Corpse and Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. You could do a lot worse than being yeah, the I exact... Uh, being the, in the middle of that Venn diagram. That, that, yeah, that... no, that would fucking rule. And it does, <laughs> as example, from the book that we're talking about right yeah. now, which is why I said that. Yeah, yeah like, I think that, like, on a very basic level violence of that extremity sort of satisfies me in the way that watching Wiley e. Coyote slam into a wall <laughs> satisfied me as a child where I'm like that is indeed very funny he thought it was a tunnel <laughs> and now I need to see someone's head get caved in with a baseball bat to experience that feeling <laughs> especially because like there, there's this there's this profundity of like so I'm mentioning him. Deleuze talks about uh, intensity thresholds and how they're they're transformative. That it's violence of a certain sort. Violence of a certain sort, as it gets more intense, kind of just feels more and more like disturbing. But then it crosses past this invisible barrier, and it becomes like you start having like manic laughter. Or I, I do. Maybe I'm broken inside. But, like, someone gets hit by a train and blows up like they're a garbage bag full of marinara. And I just, like, my brain doesn't process this as that's a real death that I just witnessed. It's like, <laughs> oh, man, full of soup. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, and actually, it, I actually have seen someone get hit by a train. And the weird thing is they they don't blow up like a, like um, marinara. They, they, just, they just kind of fall apart. Like a like a puppet that's had its joints just cut off. That's uh, really terrible. The um, yeah, seeing the... seeing a person die in real life is is so tremendously different from the experience of <laughs> seeing or reading yeah. about a person dying in fiction. It's yeah, tremendously yeah. not I, I swag. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has <laughs> very little drip. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. The 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 trade impacts with such force that the blood kind of like can't go anywhere. Kind of like. The blood panics and does, it just like seizes up. Uh, yeah. Fun fact about blood that that's uh, uh, what the scientific definition of blood aside, by the way. That's what <laughs> it actually your is. blood panics and falls yeah. out. Yeah, just kind of like doesn't really do anything. It's just like, <laughs> ah, what the hell? I'm blood. Um, but yeah, that's what blood aside is. Um, kind of coming up to a kind of endy bit, but. I want to. I was just like, while you're here, because we know you are. You have great taste as, as a critic and as a writer. What, what other? If we, if we like Manhunt, which we do, what other shit should we be into? Like n new stuff that's coming out. Um, 
other things that will that will scratch the same kind of itch. Well, we've already been over Tell Me I'm Worthless by our Alison Rumfett. Mm-hmm. I would also recommend um, Queen of Teeth by Haley Piper and The Wingspan of Severed Hands by Joe Coke, which is sort of much more like gothic and affected, but similarly repulsive and like based in, in this sort of bodily revulsion. What a fucking sick title. Yeah. yeah. It was, it, it's it's an extremely metal book. So is well, I'm Zelda. absolutely in. So is Queen of Teeth. I think you guys would particularly love both of those. I was about to say Queen of Teeth is an insanely fucking sick title, and then you hit me with another insanely sick one. Trans people own body horror. That's David Cronenberg, he kept it warm for us, and now we're here. <laughs> Look, go back and trans David Cronenberg so that you just, like, reclaim them, like, you know, just absorbing them. I think that we'll just keep him as our dad. That's beautiful. And whenever a trans woman needs to be walked down the aisle, it'll be David Cronenberg <laughs> who does it. That's a really beautiful image. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's nice. You said trans uh, H.B. Lovecraft, though. Just out of spite, if anything. Yeah, we'll, he... we'll force femme H.B. Lovecraft. <laughs> force femme H.B. Lovecraft would be really fucking funny. <laughs> Cat girl Lovecraft. So he turns all of his uh, gender-derived angst towards Italians. Um... <laughs> Loathsome cretinous, misaligned beasts. <laughs> he was a fucked up guy. He was... <laughs> oh, it's really good. All right. So uh, it's good that he's dead, right? Because oh, oh, yeah. then it's because, like, yeah. it doesn't necessarily matter how kind of fucked up he was in his personal life because he's dead. He can't, he's not getting any money or anything. He's dead. <laughs> yep. And it's gone. But um, yeah, so Manhunt comes out when this uh, show comes out. Um, one of the very few times we've had our shit together in terms of timing at all. Um, and it's out on Tor Nightfire, which is Tor's horror imprint. Is it, is it the first book that came out through Nightfire? Oh, there have been a number of others this year. Okay, yeah. But it's a very new imprint that I guess yes, Tor, is- who are like... Yeah, the the big name in literary sci-fi and fantasy have kind of realized what we've been talking about earlier, which is like horror has arrived. It's literary now. You can you don't have to be afraid of people seeing you uh, read a horror book anymore. It's literary uh, now. Pre- asterisk after now, and it says fifteen hundreds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we kind of forgot that um, <laughs> horror was literary for a very long time, and now we remember it. So. Um, yeah, it's it. This book just absolutely rules. Just so good on so many levels, and um, yeah, I hope it's I hope it's huge. I hope it's huge enough to drown out any review bombs, and I hope I hope the the turf um, blowback is funny rather than uh, bad. I hope I hope they really shit their pants trying to criticize this book and try to find something bad about it because they're really isn't anything what uh, if all and i can say this what if they all brett barded themselves <laughs> yeah what if they uh <laughs> did uh did so much coke and ate so many cheeseburgers they just like shat out on the toilet <laughs> just like uh, immediately yeah. 
It's an interesting dramatic question. I think I'll address that in the sequel. I love yeah. this idea. <laughs> Manhunt two to Breitbarted in. <laughs> Is there gonna be a sequel? No. Oh. I was about to say, like, I would be I, I read this and I was like, I I guess you could keep writing in this world, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I like there. I think there are ideas that hold water for a sequel. Like I thought about writing a second book that just follows all of the people who stayed at the collective that kicked Beth out. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah, them. And I, I think it'd be interesting, but I'm I'm not really into the idea of continuing to to write this idea. You know, I've I've already written it. <laughs> Fair enough. We 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 J.K. Rowling can only die once. Um, unfortunately well, see, that's the uh, beauty is if i write other books i can kill her off in different ways than those good point. That's yeah. right. so are you working on uh something at the moment yes i'm actually very close to finishing my second novel for nightfire uh the cuckoo which is about a group of queer teens who in the mid 90s get sent to a conversion therapy camp in utah and it turns out that something at the camp is taking these children and copying them and sending the copies home to the parents. Fuck. That's cool. Thanks. That's really cool. I love the evil Stepford Wives <laughs> vibe there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's sort of a body snatcher Stepford Wives story. That sounds fucking dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can't wait for that one. That's good. Yeah, so, that, so I'll be out like with you guys. a year, year, year or two. Yeah, it should be out in 2023. Awesome. Ooh. Good turnaround time. Yeah. <laughs> write, write a book a year. Like, why does no one do that? Novels are lazy. Horrible and difficult. <laughs> Can you imagine how in your own head you'd be like six or seven years into a novel every year? Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't have time for experiences. Your brain would totally fucking dissemble the books with later. Because... So I'm not sure if you guys have read much in the way of Eugene Thacker. Uh, that's a joke, I, I assume. I know that Gareth has. We've talked about it. And I assume that you've read some of his stuff, Gretchen. Um, he has this He has this book called An Ideal for Living, and he describes it as an anti-novel. Um, uh, again, really wonderful book. Uh, impossible to read. Um, uh, as As you would imagined from a book called an ideal for living um which is obviously named after uh um obviously for people like me uh but uh yeah it's uh that's what every book would be where it's just like oh this page is just all parentheses no letters just just parentheses yeah in other words it would be great and rule and you'd be. love it so yeah, uh, Gretchen, get get going. Come on, uh, start writing a book a year. <laughs> you probably do two books. Just uh, you know, you did this one. Just start pumping them out. Get them I'll out. Tell there. you what, Gareth, you cut me a check for a hundred k, and I'll get right on it. Um, you take NFTs. <laughs> um, I I do not, sir. A picture of <laughs> one badly drawn ape. <laughs> oh well, actually, now that you put it that way. An ape that it turns out might additionally be racist. <laughs> yeah, I think we can we can safely retire the might 
That shit was such a crazy goddamn twist to that story. Oh, I, I hate being it, alive sometimes. I really hate it. It, it, it turned out that those those they are lit bros. They're MFA graduates. Jesus like me. Christ. Yeah. My people they, they, know no bounds to their fucking treachery. <laughs> yeah, they, they bonded over um and this is kind of obvious, they bonded over David Foster Wallace. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's so sad because David Foster Wallace was such an incredible writer. Like to have him boil down in his legacy to an idiot you would hate to talk to. Like I, I think he, he David Foster Wallace would be the idiot I'd hate to talk to. Great he writer. Would love Ronald Reagan. Hanging out with John McCain. Hanging out with David Foster Wallace would be hell on earth. <laughs> I just you stole his thing. stupid. You could steal his stupid head handkerchief and like play keep away with it. That'd be the only way it'd be, it'd be a tolerable experience. <laughs> Just like wipe your ass with his stupid head handkerchief. <laughs> oh, think you're oh. fucking uh, being alive. Being Excellent. alive is pain, and you know what else mm. is pain? The music of the body. <laughs> it is pain. It's good pain. Yeah, no, it's good pain. So, um, yeah, that uh, we're gonna close out the show with um. A song from the new collaborative album from The Body and OAA, uh, who I will sadly admit I had not heard of prior to this collaborative Same. record, despite um, which normally when The Body does a collab, I've already heard about the band, like the record yeah, they did. Be like Big my Grave. other favorite, favorite yeah. band. Yeah, they're just it's like, like all my favorite bands just collaborate with The Body at some point. And what's weird about this collaboration is normally when The Body collaborates with somebody, the music is very different from what you would expect from the body. Like you listen to them and it's very, um, it's a combination of dance music, industrial music, extreme sludge, like, like extreme sludge metal, um, far more on the black metal and noise. And, and then obviously duh, a lot of, uh, noise records as well get sort of folded in there, but then they collaborate with people like uniform and they make like, EBM. They collaborate with Full of Hell and they make really spiky avant-garde electronica. They collaborate with Big Brave, this really dense, um, very uh, uh, like intense post-metal about um, non-male gendered experience in, in a very patriarchal world. And they make a folk record, like just these really wild uh, differences. And then with this one, it actually sounds like a body record. Um, which I guess when you've built your uh, when you've built your track record of collaborations being these wild twists, uh, the only twist left is to have it be normal. Um, mm -hmm. Granted, they're shit bumps, so this is not a knock. We've had um, uh, I say we actually Gareth when he started this show chose a song by the Body to be the theme song. Um, when we changed the theme uh, for last season, we changed it to another song by The Body. We've had music from The Body routinely as it's come out. Just this, it, it's a big aspect of just this show as a thing. Um, so it's uh, it's it's always kind of a privilege to have more of it. Um, yeah, there's not much uh, to say in terms of elaboration on it. If you've heard The Body, this will sound like The Body. It's just uh, more, and that's tight. I love it when bands do the same but more, and I like it. Damn right. We need to like have them on the show one day. That, that that's would kind be of so fucking sick. I have interviewed uh, Chip from the Body 
a we long, could, long time ago, like five we, years ago. But, we uh, could make Chip exclusively do the interview in his high pitched shriek. Yeah, like a like a screaming chicken voice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, or like a a woman seeing someone that they know and love on fire. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is um, pseudosciasis from Enemy of Love by the Body and OAA.